0: Welcome to the Little Red Podcast, which brings you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. I'm Graham Smith from the Department of Pacific Affairs at the Australian National University, and I'm joined by my co-host, Louisa Lim, former China correspondent for the BBC and NPR, now with the Centre for Advancing Journalism at Melbourne University. We're on air thanks to support from the ANU's Australian Centre on China in the World and the Department of Pacific Affairs.
1: Today we're bringing you a special podcast that was recorded in front of a live audience yesterday in Melbourne. I was moderating an event that brought together Hong Kong pop star and democracy activist Denise Ho, Chinese artist Ba Tao, and author Clive Hamilton. It happened at the exact moment when Hong Kong's chief executive Carrie Lam announced she was withdrawing the extradition bill, which has sparked three months of unrest in Hong Kong. The event was organised by Australia Hong Kong Link. The first speaker was Denise Ho, who's a pop star and a democracy activist and who's been a loud voice for Hong Kong overseas. In July, she appeared at the United Nations Human Rights Council to ask for China to be removed from the body. She's been described by Beijing as Hong Kong poison. She was arrested after the umbrella movement, and her music has been banned in China.
2: Hello, hello. Hi, everyone. How are you guys? And uh, so I was just saying to, uh, you know, when we were doing the sound check, I was like, mm, I think the, the crowd knows what's happening in Hong Kong, so do I still need to give this introduction? Should I just be singing a song that would be. <laughs> That would be much easier for me, to be honest. But no, I'll just make it short. I am really the opening act here. I'll just give a very brief introduction of what has been happening since early June this year. As you have probably seen on the news, we have been having these huge protests in Hong Kong. Uh, The first one was on June 9th which uh, we had a million people on the streets because we were protesting against an extradition bill that was uh, to be amended by the Hong Kong government, which if it did, uh, then people would be potentially extradited to China. The the firewall that existed between Hong Kong and China would have been removed. So today, um, we have heard the news coming from Hong Kong that finally... After three months, almost, our chief executive is finally deciding to do that. Personally, my comment on that is that it is uh, a bit too late for that. Um, A bit too late and also a little bit, uh, really not enough uh, in face of what we are actually facing at the moment. And so we'll we'll discuss about that later. so what happened in June, we had one million people and then no response from the government whatsoever. And then two million people came onto the streets and still nothing from the government. And so uh, what started out as a very, very peaceful protest, the two million people protest was on June 16th. There was, I was in the front lines and I saw absolutely no police Uh, being there to to control the situation, and we had no violence whatsoever. So Hong Kong people have demonstrated our level of civilization. We are highly educated and civilized people. um, In spite of all the smearing campaigns that have been going on by the propaganda machine, which is the communist government, they have been trying to frame us as a violent protest asking for Hong Kong independence, which is absolutely not the truth. We have shown that we are able to be largely peaceful and with even 2 million people on the streets, no glass was broken, no cars were uh, broken, anything. But of course, we were met with uh, extreme police brutality and violence, where tear gas was thrown into the crowds. Um, Rubber bullets, sponge bullets, uh, beanbag bullets were aimed at the people at head level. And so um, we were extremely frustrated and angered by how they were trying to suppress us. They were trying to intimidate the people by um, fi- firing all these uh, chemical we- weapons at us. And so uh, up to date, there have been more than, I believe, 2,000 uh, tear gases and bullets, everything that was fired at the people within the three months, and maybe even more. I, I, probably my, my numbers are not updated. And so um, this was in June. And since then, um, people have evolved. Hong Kong people have evolved. Uh, we, we, nobody had masks or goggles, really, in the beginning. But then, gradually, we had to defend ourselves from this kind of extreme police brutality, uh, where they have been arresting people, really, for no uh, justified reasons. Um, they have been uh, targeting mostly young, people, and up to now we have had more than 1,000 arrests, uh, for, with, within which there have been about, um, I think, around 100 or more people who have been charged for riots. So our five demands, um, including the withdrawal of the extradition bill, uh, we are also asking for this independent inv- investigative council to be formed so that this kind of police brutality would be addressed and justice would be brought to uh, Hong Kong society. And so you see here we have had even um, this girl, she, was a, uh, she is a first aider, she was on the sites and then she was shot in the right eye with a beanbag blood. Uh, and evidence sh- has shown that the shot was sh- fired from from a higher level than the people were, and that also violates uh, the universal principles of um, how law enforcement officials they should be utilizing their uh, weapons and uh, all the their, their tools uh, in 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 front of these protests and they have violated obviously um, I guess most of the the rules in that rule book and so um, of course probably you have seen images on television where uh, there have been fires that have been set uh, on the streets and that has been something that the Communist government they have been utilizing to target this as a uh, mainly violent protests, which I would like to explain a little bit here, because um, as I have explained just now, there wasn't anything, uh, no, really no violence in the beginning. But then why this has gradually escalated into uh, this kind of confrontation, it was because of the way that the government, they have been hiding behind the police force and really turning the whole Hong Kong society within these three months into a police state. So we, at the moment, are in face of a humanitarian crisis where the police are really just doing whatever they want with the people. And so the youngsters in the front lines, unfortunately, we have had to escalate our defense also. And there have been this slogan that is the following it was you who taught me that peaceful marches are useless. So we had 1 million people, 2 million people, and then 1.7 million people on the streets and still no response from the government. And that was why the people in the front lines, they felt the need to protect the people in the back. Uh, one of the the youngsters, they actually wrote this um, testimony on Facebook saying that the reasons they have uh, you know, resorted to more aggressive means was because they wanted to protect the people who were behind them. And so this is a sense of brotherhood, sisterhood, that has been very, very moving to, to witness among the people where, uh, you see, there have been not only young people, really, but uh, elderly people, uh, middle-aged people, who have stood up against this sort of police brutality and uh, this, this police state that we are in. So I really want to address this and to give you a sentiment on the grounds. It is a very wide spectrum uh, of participation from the people. It is not only young people who are on the streets. It is everyone who believes in uh, these freedoms and human rights that have been uh, promised to us by the Chinese government in the one country, two systems. So that is what we are asking for. We are not asking for Hong Kong independence. We are asking for the basic law, the one country, two systems, to be respected. For our autonomy that was promised to us in the 80s with the joint declaration uh, by the leaders in China, for this really to be respected. And so um, a lot of people have asked, how has this movement uh, been able to sustain itself uh, during these three months, even though we are a highly decentralized movement, we are totally leaderless. And the reasons behind that is because we have a, an amazing generation of youngsters who are capable of finding solutions. And so the background to this is that we had a, an umbrella movement uh, five years ago where we had a few organizations calling the shots and really leading the crowds, but then it failed because um, that kind of structure was actually slowing down a lot of decisions. And with the government you know, really giving us the silent treatment in, in not doing anything and just letting the occupation die down by itself, we came to an end in uh, within 79 days, and so this time um, we have learned from our mistakes from five years ago, and it has exploded into this huge comeback of Hong Kongers with the help of the internet. We have three specific tools that we, are, we have been using. There is, for one, a online forum, that is something like a Reddit uh, where people can pitch ideas and strategize on that platform and then others can upvote or downvote the, the, these ideas. So those uh, ideas that have been upvoted the most would be taken into action and then, uh, really, it's, uh, it's very automatic and it's very unique to the Hong Kong people who are very flexible and very, um, you know, very motivated to, to, to make things happen. So overnight, there would be posters that would be um, designed by anonymous designers. And then these artwork would be spread onto Facebook and social media, like uh, Instagram, and also mainly on Telegram, the the app, uh, where people can be anonymous, but still uh, we can form groups and channels that can help to disperse these uh, different tactics and different uh, strategies and also these kinds of artwork. So one of the uh, successful campaigns that happened was the stand with Hong Kong uh, at G20 summit, uh, which you know, in in hours they were able to crowd fund, uh, I think a few million Hong Kong dollars, and then that was used to put up ads, uh, front page ads in newspapers uh, worldwide. So these were the the you know in Korea, in uh, the UK, in the US, uh, probably in Australia too. That is how this has sustained itself. And of course, because we are decentralized and there is no particular leader that the government can address or target. So this makes it uh, into a very, very interesting movement where sometimes things happen very quickly and then tactics can be changed instantaneously. And so, of course, the creativity uh, goes into onto the streets with the Lenin walls, where uh, people have been using post-its to uh, create all these walls in different districts of, of Hong Kong. And we have this very, very important motto uh, that came from a very... The, probably the most famous Hong Kong actor ever, uh, Bruce Lee, which is B-Waters. And this is also our title of uh, this tonight. And the mentality is really to be solid or uh, you know, very flexible, and the fluidity uh, comes in at very critical times. So we do not hold on to anything And that makes it very difficult for the government to to clear us off, because we could come and then we could go, and then we come back again at another time. You know, in these times, people in Hong Kong show how high quality they are. You know, this sense of solidarity, the sense of unity. We are at the moment where um, Hong Kong people are together as one. And I believe that this is not only proven within the people in Hong Kong. It's also people from overseas, like you all. Um, People in Melbourne, in Sydney, (laughs) London, Paris, uh, in Canada, US, everywhere really. I think we are all one community. And I would really uh, like to thank... You all here tonight, um, you are doing something very, very important just by showing up, really. This is something that is giving support to the Hong Kong people.
1: The second speaker was Badu Tao, one of our early guests. He's become the de facto artist of the movement, despite living in Australia. He's produced many of the defining images, in particular memorable pictures of chief executive Carrie Lam, in which you see only her hair and her spectacles, but no other facial features. He talked about why.
3: You know, sometimes I can be a really lazy artist, you know. Um, And I particularly like to draw Carrie Lam because I don't need to do a lot on her face. You know why? Why? because she basically do not have facial expression <laughs> I reflect on this issue then I think how does this happen I realize it because she is a puppet of Beijing And for puppets you see they moving lamps, torsos, legs, but usually they don't move their eyes or mouth. <laughs> so for me, it's really easy to do Carrie. With her f- hairstyle and a pair of red gloves, that's her. <laughs> but also because she is really indifferent and cold blood mm. on the Hong Kong issues. Yeah. When so many people got beat up by the police, When so many young people are suffering from this cause, when we're having young people kill themselves because of the suffocated atmosphere in Hong Kong, she did nothing. And recently, one of the leaked video by Reuters showing the most thing she actually worry about is cannot go to the hair salon. (laughs) But I want to do this to make it achieve on the face of Carrie. Yes, she's not the one to pull the trigger. She's not one to actually did the damage. But she's supposed to be the leader of Hong Kong. So ultimately, she should be responsible for all this very bad consequence to anyone who got hurt during this campaign. I don't really want to hurt her, but at least we can make fun of her.
1: <laughs> Badu Tao talked about the difficulty of drawing a movement when developments on the ground are happening so fast... And when there's so much police violence against protesters,
3: It's really important to use art to actually monitoring our people in the society who have the power. It's important to watch them. Well artists sometimes should be watchdogs in the society. And it's so effective that we can use our art to challenge the authority that they have, especially like Caroline, who is not really. Presenting the willing and the rights of the Hong Kongers. And it's working. It's inspiring and cheering people. When you can make fun of the most powerful figure in that government. It tells people that, yes, we can achieve something. Not just on an image, but in the reality. Hong Kongers are doing public art performance to supporting their cause by holding hands one by one, making a human chain all around the city. This is a miracle. But if you're in China, that's the way you're holding hands, which is shackled together. So apparently Hong Kongers had their made decision. They don't want the China way. They want its own way, Hong Kong way. I'm from mainland. And I do see Hong Kong as the beacon for democracy freedom, not just for itself, but also for the entire China. I have been talking to some of the mainland students who have different opinion with Hong Kong. And I found the reason why. Most of them don't even ever heard about the five demands. All they believe is Hong Kongers want independence, which is not true. But because of the Chinese propaganda machine, that's the only information that they can have. They're manipulated, they're used from China to Australia and other overseas countries and cities. I don't know if we actually have pro-China students sitting here today, but if you are, I want to tell you, brother and sister, I come from your position, if you open your eyes, you will change your view and you will find actually the Hong Kongers are the people around the world who love you the most. Because if Hong Kong's freedom can trigger the freedom of China, it's a blessing for every one of us.
1: The final speaker was author Clive Hamilton, a professor of public ethics at Charles Sturt University. He's the author of Silent Invasion, China's Influence in Australia, which was rejected by three publishers because they feared blowback from China. Last night's event was tricky too. Nine venues turned it down because of security concerns. This is because last month there were ugly scenes in Melbourne when pro-Hong Kong and pro-China protesters clashed. Last night there was a massive police presence outside the venue to ensure no repeats of this. There were dozens of policemen, including mounted policemen as well. Clive spoke about Chinese influence here in Australia. This was followed by a short discussion that I moderated. The presentations were followed by a short discussion that I moderated. One note, all the chanting that you'll hear of Hong Kong protest slogans was totally spontaneous, as this was a community event.
4: I've been asked to talk about um, what Hong Kong means for Uh, the rest of the world, uh, and Australia uh, in particular, because we are all in the same boat. Um, We're all the targets of uh, Beijing's uh, influence, interference, and control. And outside of mainland China itself, Hong Kong is the sharpest point of uh, Communist Party oppression. I wrote a book about protest movements, and I don't think any protest movement anywhere in the world has brought a third of the population Uh, onto the streets, so it's really, truly uh, remarkable. And what it tells us is that Beijing has been trying very hard for uh, for decades uh, to bring Hong Kong and Hong Kongers uh, to heel, and it's failed. And this is a great inspiration, that there are limits and constraints on Beijing's influence operations, powerful as they are, And so Hong Kongers truly are an inspiration to other people around the world who are trying to understand and respond to Beijing's influence operations. The world has been here before. Uh, The world has seen uh, the rise of of tyrannies. And for people in countries like Australia, we have a choice. How do we respond uh, to the rise of a new and powerful and increasingly brutal tyranny. One reaction of course is to remain silent. I'm particularly worried about the silence uh, on our university campuses because the CCP has undertaken a very sustained and highly successful campaign of influencing and controlling our universities. Of course the next reaction uh, to a tyranny is appeasement and uh, we saw this Uh, in the organisation of this event when the National Gallery of Victoria refused to host it. It was uh, a coincidence, of course, that it has uh, a current exhibition of uh, porcelain statues uh, borrowed from uh, from China. But why do our institutions, our public institutions, who are funded by the taxpayers of Australia, why are they not standing up uh, for democracy and freedom in our country? It's outrageous that our public universities, our public galleries, our public institutions are not providing venues for the expression of uh, democracy and defence of human rights uh, in this country. Uh, This uh, suppression of the expression of criticisms of this tyrannous regime is happening all around the world. The next reaction or response we've seen to a rise of tyranny is collaboration with it. We've seen a whole swathe of uh, Western companies uh, working with the Chinese Communist Party and actually uh, helping it in its oppressive activities, uh, helping it develop more sophisticated surveillance technologies which are being put into operation in Xinjiang today, collaborating with the Chinese regime to improve its military superiority. And uh, we see uh, what happens. Uh, History of judges, companies who participate in tyrannous regimes very harshly indeed. And then, of course, there is resistance. At a time of uh, rising authoritarianism across the globe, Hong Kong protests really are of world historical importance. If Beijing succeeds and brings Hong Kong to heel, a huge blow will have been inflicted on the forces of democracy and freedom around the world. If Beijing succeeds in Hong Kong it will be a vindication of authoritarianism, a message to all of the dictators and wannabe dictators around the world that the world will not stand up to them but will let them have their way. Now many young activists in Hong Kong have, uh, have said that for them this battle is life or death. The choice is to be free or to lin- live under Beijing's oppressive yoke. Beijing will, they know, deprive them of their liberty, of their individuality. It will force them to live a lie, to be silent, to be to conform to the party's dictates. They know that they will be watched, they will have their words taken away, they will have their thoughts monitored and shaped and they'll be punished for Any infraction of the party's ideology because that's China under the iron rule of Xi Jinping uh, today. So many young people in Hong Kong, we've heard them say that they will give up their lives if they have to, they would rather die than live under Beijing's tyranny. For the protesters, especially those on the front line, these months in 2019 will define their lives. Nothing they will ever do will matter more than they are doing in these months now. They are being forged in this battle. They will remember it always. However it turns out, they will look back on what they have done with enormous pride. If they fail, they will have tried. They will have risked their futures, risked their lives, and we cannot ask more of anyone than that, they are the heroic generation. They are the young lions of Hong Kong, and history will remember them.
1: Thank you, Clive. And I would like to ask the other two panel members to come up, and we will have a quick discussion. Even while we've been here, there has been some breaking news, so I thought we should probably start with with the news. While we've been sitting in this room, Carrie Lam has released a statement uh, with four new proposals. The first is the withdrawal of the extradition bill, Uh, the second is appointing two new extra members to the independent police monitoring body, the IPCC, the third is an offer again of dialogue, and the fourth is... um, (laughs) To announce that an independent group be set up to study the deep-seated problems in Hong Kong society. So I want to start with you, Denise. What is your response? Is this enough?
2: <laughs> That's our response, really. <laughs> this. Let me let me let me, let me let me let me translate this saying the five demands. We need them all to be met, really. Uh, and that includes the Independent Investigative Council, which she is still um, refusing to form. And to give some context, really, uh, the way that... The, the, what's the the, the... the one that we have uh, right now in Hong Kong... The IPCC. Yeah, the IPCC. Uh, it works in a way that the, if you have a complaint, you have to first go into a police station And to make the claim that someone from the police force has abused you or has abused their powers, and then the police, when they get that file, they have the authority to uh, forward it or not to that inquiry. So basically, it means that uh, that that IPCC is useless, and it's actually non-existent, so whoever they put into uh, that council, it, it, it makes no difference really, because anyone who goes into that pol- police station, they could be arrested anytime. so no one is filing complaints. I think there have been under 100 complaints, or, or uh, no, 100 or so uh, to this point, and it just shows you that people are reluctant to, to, to go through that system, which puts them into that very fragile position. So, yeah,
1: But I mean, I think that one of the questions is how then to proceed at this point in time. We're seeing Beijing threatening, imposing emergency regulations and this would accord the chief executive extraordinary powers, uh, for example, the power to stop public transport, something we are already seeing mm. happening. There is talk in, in Hong Kong that perhaps what we're seeing is tantamount to a covert martial law already being employed. How then to move forward, given that?
3: I think keep creating art. <laughs> um, I think in our heart that we all know the ultimate problem is not really Kerry Long, but the mister sitting in Beijing. Yes. And Hong Kong is facing this ultimate test all the time. And even if, contemporarily, the Hong Kong government is compromising or giving space for so-called dialogue, the clock is still ticking. The major problem still has not been addressed. So that's actually what Hong Kong was just thinking in the long term. Even after the five demands meet, let's be super positive on this, there are still challenges in the future. So I think I'm thinking about really long term protest.
2: Yes, well, I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, the fundamental thing is that the people in Hong Kong, we really do not trust this government, and just by throwing you know, these biscuits to to people after almost three months of, of protests, uh, that is not an act of, of you know, genuine sincerity with us it's just ta- some sort of tactic maybe to to try to uh, calm the people and to have some portion of the people go back home and I mean, Hong Kong people are not stupid, Hong Kongers are smart, and we know if you are sincere in, in, in your, your wordings and your statements. So we have been tricked many, many times. We have uh, been rigged uh, many times also, and we are just not going to be that, in that position anymore.
1: But what do you see as the next step for, for the movement? I mean, it's almost hard to imagine what further escalation could look like
2: at this stage in time. Well, personally, I do feel that there are pieces moving, shifting uh, globally, really. Uh, there will be the CECC hearing in the US Congress next month, which um, actually I will be going for, for the hearing. And so uh, there have been a lot of statesma- statements that have been made by uh, US Congress uh, members and even senators saying that uh, you know, we should be pushing ahead the Hong Kong Democracy and Human Rights Act uh, in the Congress very soon. And so uh, on that context, I believe that there are things that could be done internationally where governments uh, all over the world, they should be uh, addressing this issue because this really is not an isolated issue between Hong Kong and China. you know, as live has said that this is a very global issue where we are seeing these Chinese influences, uh, you know, the, the, that reach going into all corners of the world. And so uh, and since we are also in a very uh, critical situation on the humanitarian level, I believe that if just the determination of the Hong Kong people continues, I'm you know, optimistic in the long run that something would change, there are possibilities here at the moment.
1: Clive, um, from your perspective, what kind of pressure do you think can be brought to bear on on the Communist Party? What kind of international
4: pressure works? Well, I mean, I wouldn't give advice, it's not my place uh, to give advice to the protesters in Hong Kong, who seem to be so strategically brilliant in, in what they're doing, but I do feel uh, I'll just back up what Denise said, that perhaps the next uh, stage is, is to mobilise international support, uh, to make it more difficult for uh, Beijing uh, to crack down, to subvert, to undermine, to brutalise uh, the protesters. Now, it won't stop them. I mean, it's a, it's a, a fanatical, paranoid regime, increasingly fanatical uh, and paranoid, um, but definitely... Uh, mobilising international support, I think, is crucial. And the, the, what I find extraordinary about this whole uh, Hong Kong uh, protest event is the way in which you've got these extraordinarily dramatic confrontations happening in the streets, these heavily armed police really keyed up, uh, you know, pepper spray, truncheons, and you've got the protesters on the other side, but they're literally three metres away. You've got hundreds of media you know, like filming everything and pr- provi- It's like Vietnam. You know? Uh, in, in a way, the Americans lost Vietnam because of the media, because people saw what was happening and that shaped their view of it, and it, and it revolted them. I think these images going around the world are, are, are compelling and fascinating, and I think there's a huge wellspring of international support for the protesters uh, in Hong Kong, and that needs to be mobilized and directed uh, more effectively uh, uh, towards Beijing.
1: But when it comes to the media, I mean, I think what we are seeing is information warfare as well. If you read Chinese, and I'm sure many people in this room do, you will see the coverage in the Chinese media on WeChat. You could be watching a completely other set of events playing out and we're seeing that information is being weaponized extremely successfully at Chinese audiences. I mean, Ba you Tao, how can that be combated, that kind of uh, in- information weaponisation?
3: Um, I don't think the solution is suppress the Chinese media. Otherwise, it will also be harm to the whole general free speech. But the way we can do it is firstly enhance whatever we have in Australia for the Chinese media, to giving them support, to giving them funding, to make them more appealing to the domestic Chinese population. So even if my fellow brothers and sisters only want to read from Chinese, they can have different sources to read from. They can open the windows for them. But the other problem I think Australia or any other country should address is a platform like WeChat. We are in Australia, but if you're reading or posting anything via those Chinese apps, you have to follow in the regulation or the censorship protocols in China. This is not acceptable because we are in Australia. We are Australian citizens and residents. Whatever China is running their way, they're running it, but at least we should defend our free speech in our land. And that's something that Australia <laughs> government:
2: Well, And the beauty of really, this movement in Hong Kong is the way that everyone has pitched in. It's really not only the young people in the front lines. And so, you know, I would address to this crowd uh, that there might be something that you all can do also, like if there is an idea that uh, you think. Uh, would help in this course or in this discussion, then just say it and you know post it and and t- talk about it with your friends because they ha- they are controlling the the digit- uh, digital space. So you know, I have joked about you know, we going back into that uh, those revolution days where the the Chinese used mooncakes to pass messages, <laughs> but. Really, that might be the, the thing that we could be doing is, is you know, the, the human contact, uh, the connection that we can do on a on day-to-day basis, where you know, maybe there is someone from mainland China uh, around you, someone who might not be as hostile as we have seen in the news, someone who would uh, is misinformed and they might be open to, to getting more information.
1: And I wanted to ask you, Denise, you said that you've been attacked and you've been smeared, and we know that you've been arrested before. I mean, do you worry that going back to Hong Kong, there are all kinds of threats you might face, including being arrested for public assembly, incitement, incitement to incite, which was actually offence people were found guilty of in the Umbrella Movement, mm. And then we have triads with sticks beating people up. How do you continue to speak despite all these threats against you?
2: Very frankly speaking, these threats have only uh, really escalated these few weeks. Uh, Before that, I really haven't thought much about that because my theory is that to make myself even more high profile and I'll be... Know, relatively safer, which is actually the truth because you know, somehow they, they know uh, the, the sort of response that the public would have if they were to really attack myself. But uh, in these days where we have seen the, the police go crazier and crazier, and then these mobs uh, that have been attacking students and activists in Hong Kong, I know that I am one of the targets. I have received uh, threats, indirect threats, but you know, still threats coming from mobsters uh, saying that they would be attacking me. I know that I, you know, there's a high chance that I could be arrested any time, maybe you know, when I'm going back to Hong Kong. Uh, but I would prefer to be arrested in Hong Kong rather than be extradited to China. You know, uh, to, uh, <laughs> I guess, you know, that is something that the bill that is withdrawn. So, uh, but I, I, I'm being more careful now. I might not go to Thailand. Uh, neither would I go, you know, maybe to uh, Philippines or, you know, these these countries where I might be disappeared. So, you know, I know the threats, but still, to this point, I still think that my so-called sacrifices is nothing really compared to these kids who are in the front lines. They are... Being beaten, you know, to to the point of being unconscious, really. And so, as Badyu Tao said, I think there is power in this kind of solidarity, where if you know we all stand together as one, and uh, you all are here. I know I have your support, and so you know, I I, I have I have confidence in our community. <laughs> That we can come to you. Yeah.
1: Um, before we end, I know we're out of time, but I did want to make one really cheeky request. You have a sutra song. Would you be willing to sing it for <laughs> us? Because, well, I think we all could do with some mental, mental health help at uh, this point in time. Well,
2: I mean, I, I won't sing the sutra, but I could sing a, a, a cappella of uh, maybe Siyao Zhongyan. <laughs> No music, okay. I'll just wing it. Okay, anyone knows the lyrics too? Right, okay, let's go. Thank you very much, thank you so
1: much. That was pop star and democracy activist Denise Ho, artist Ba Tao, and author Clive Hamilton. It's notable that today an unnamed community group paid for adverts in a Chinese language newspaper here in Australia. The front page ad expressed strong dissatisfaction with Denise Ho. It said she was hurting the unity and harmony of Chinese communities overseas.
0: I'm Grant Smith, and you've been listening to the Little Red Podcast, bringing you China from beyond the Beijing Beltway. Find us on iTunes, Omni, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was edited by Andy Hazel with support from the Australian Centre for China in the World. Our theme music is by Susie Wilkins. Background research by Julia Bergen, and our cartoons and gifs are courtesy of Seb Danta. Bye for now.